0: it's slightly nerve-wracking that we've got the whole vineyard leadership here, practically, and the one who organised the preaching rota. So this may be my last effort. You never know. Okay, so let's pray. I I don't think you can leave here once the Word of God has been opened up or you've read it or you've seen it. I don't believe you can go out of here unchanged. But it really is as much down to us to receive as it is for me to share. So let's be changed. I, uh, when I read the words of Jesus, I think, my goodness me, Lord, I ain't quite there yet. But there's hope and there's power. So, Father God, thank you that you take us as we are, bedraggled, fractured, fragmented all over the show. Can't put two thoughts together that make real holy sense. And you speak into our hearts life and you breathe into us life and you bring us to be disciplined and courageous and gifted and loved, and precious. And we start to blossom and we start to bloom. And that's because of your wonderful, wonderful love. So enable me by your power to make sense of this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So... Um, Thrive is the series, and we've done money, and we've done time, and today we're doing power. Big subject, this is one aspect, okay? You can't cover all the aspects of power if we stayed here for a week. So we're going to turn to our first scripture, which is Matthew 25, verse 14 to 20. Now, verse 13 says, that I think is a key to it all. He says, Jesus says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour concerning the coming of Jesus again. So then he tells a parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought "'The other five. "'Mastery said, you entrusted me with five talents. "'See, I've gained five more.' "'So Miss Master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You have been faithful with a few things. "'I'll put you in charge of many things. "'Come and share your Master's happiness.' "'The man with the two talents also came. "'Mastery said, you entrusted me with two talents. "'See, I've gained two more.' His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, I know I'm going beyond. His master replied, you wicked Lazy servant, you. so you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So this story is about a master who calls his servants and gives them three separate amounts of money. A Talent was worth about 20 years' worth of, of salary. So it was very precious, and very, very valuable. And it's, the story is that the master is likened to God because Jesus is setting the scene that Jesus is returning. And the talents here do not really represent money for us. They represent our gifts, our abilities, our strengths, everything we have, really, everything we own, from what we stand up in to what, how we think to how we behave. Every bit of us is talented. And it's given to our ability. God is not the wicked master that's portrayed here. He's not looking for where he hasn't sown. He he is the one who has given all men everywhere on the face of the earth. He's given them gifts, talents, and abilities. The master is going away, and he expects his his servants to put what they have to good use so that when he returns he will find that they've invested what they have and there'll be an increase. So it's worth noting that each of the servants was given a differing amount, a different amount, one five, one ten, one one. I want us to understand or consider today two, I'm going to reduce it down to really two basic components so that we go away here with something very simple to get our heads round and then God can pack it out, as it were. We are all truly equal in God's sight. We have all been made in the image of God and we bear his likeness. And this makes our lives precious and valuable and really, really gives us that sort of dignity that we belong to God. Just as an aside, I just remember being alongside um, the leader then of Praise Community Church and feeling terrifically insecure, because I was a mess and I looked at it. <laughs> people knew it. And, um, but I stood there and I remember saying one day, I cost the same as him to be here. And suddenly it was like, I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna stay here and nothing's gonna move me and nothing moved me, nothing moved me from this church. No trouble, no fallout, no adultery, no crashing of leadership, nothing has moved me ever from church. So this makes us precious. To know we are loved completely by God is the most profound and freeing truth you will ever discover. It's that scripture that says perfect love casts out fear. The second thing we've really got to get our noddles around is that we are each and every one of us different. We are different. And this causes a lot of problems. Each one of us have a unique personality, we're wired differently to each other, and so each one has different gifts, different abilities, and this makes us very distinct from one another. And there's loads of tests you can do out there that will define your strengths and tell you what personality types you are. And although you could group people in personality types, it still wouldn't mean that they were the same. The way we listen to a teaching, the way we view a sunset, the way we treat our children, the way we can even recount a story, phenomenally different, unique. There is no... Unique means one. It doesn't mean... It means there's only one. There's only one of you, there's only one of me. And that's it. So these are the two realities, equally loved, different and distinct from one another. And because they will secure us in love and the power of God, this is what will hold us together as the body of Christ. Because all of us are on a journey of discovering how much he loves us. Tammy said, you know, will you thank him and trust him this morning? That's a journey. That's the process. Learning to trust in who he is, learning to to trust that his ability will not fail us. The talents and the master gave the talents and the that the master gave, these servants suited each one perfectly. I know that my gifting suits my personality absolutely down to the ground. And it's according to my abilities. I'll never be a Heidi Baker. Would that I could. I will never be, uh, you know, some great church planter. I wouldn't be able to do that. But I can do what he's given me to do. I can. I can, by his grace, love my family. I can, by his grace, submit to Roger. I can learn to love the body of Christ. I can develop my teaching skill. I can do what he's given me to do, and so can you. Let's have a look at how Paul describes this fitting together um, a bit, shall we? Ephesians 3, 16. (coughs) Paul prays this. Um, in the letters to the Ephesians. This is his prayer. For this very reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. That's the word. Through his spirit, In your inner being, that's in your spiritual being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, Paul says, Paul prays that that God may strengthen us in our inner man with power, his Holy Spirit power. And then in verse 18, that, that we may have power together with all the saints. This is really crucial because we live in a very individualistic world, and there's nothing, and there's everything about individualistic in the sense that we're unique. And there's nothing about individualism in the sense that we have to strive for position or make sure we make a name for ourselves and all that. So this being secure in who we are gets deeper as God heals our lives, but it's a work God wants to do. And to understand how we fit together and how our gifts work together is really, really important. And Paul gives us another example of this fitting together in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he, when he describes the body, which is perfect. And if you've ever been to the doctors or if you've ever got near nursing, you will know that Psalm 139 is so accurate. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are amazingly wonderfully made. As, as Sheen has given a testimony, it's amazing what the body can do. So... Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, here we go, the body. The body is a unit. It is one complete unit. I never realised till I went into nursing that your gut is so tightly packed, you can't get your finger in between it. You've got your spleen and your liver and your kidneys and your bowel and your guts, and it's all wrapped in there and it's all stuffed in there. It's all wonderfully kept, wonderfully kept. Amazing. And then there's this big jelly thing that goes over it called momentum. And when they first saw an operation, they slopped it into a plastic bag and hung it over the side of the of the gurney thing. And I thought that is amazing. That is stunning. It is, isn't it. It's the body is stunning. And it never operates on its own. It is totally dependent on every other bit. To work you're sitting there and your kidneys and your brain are working out how much salt is actually going to be absolutely right in your blood and when you go to McDonald's you give it a problem okay so, so right off let's see let's get back to the point shall we um, it says the body is a unit though it is made up of many parts and though all its parts are many they form one body now think of one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of now the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. So it's one unit many parts. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged, listen to this, perfect order with God, no chaos with God, God is a God of order, all things work together, all things always work together. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Okay. So we see here that we are one body though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. In verse 14, Paul repeats this. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. So each part is vitally important, and those parts that are unpresentable should still have special treatment so that we should all have dignity and there should be no division. Now, that hits the biggest point, really, of all. Because whilst we're all crashing about, and while we come in damaged, and while we come in hurt and suspicious, because perhaps we haven't, life hasn't treated us so well, we tend to look at others, and then we tend to judge ourselves. And because sin is deceptive and blind, we tend to think we're all right, and they're not. They need sorting. They're not right. Just like the story, everything everything we have comes from him. And we have to learn these truths. We have to increase in this understanding. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't? In other words, everything is gift. You know, if you're a good baker, it's gift. You know, when I, um, Matthew and, um, Matthew Crawley, the son of James, uh, son of Jim and Calf, you know, when I knew him as a lad, he had big hands. He was not going to be a, a surgeon. <laughs> he was going to be a carpenter. He was going to be a builder like his dad we are made you know when i used to rock up at school they think oh she's a good runner she's tall and skinny i couldn't run for toffee the sun would get in my eyes and i would stumble around and and you know and then somebody would make that somebody oh i never forget the humiliation as i walked up the stairs and the maths teacher said oh i bet you're good at maths that was my worst subject like i came bottom but last last but bottom and I was crying. And they said, why are you crying? I said, because I'm not last. <laughs> oh, no, I made it. <laughs> you, you, if you don't have it, you don't have it. You know, if if you're designed to be an athlete, you'll be an athlete. If, you, if you're if you going to do a pole vault, you do a pole vault. know, if you're going to understand maths, you're going to understand maths. And I couldn't. And it didn't matter. Now, if you talk maths to me, I'll lose you after the second sentence. So don't bother. So so what Paul's saying is there's no need to boast when you know what you have in your life package, as it were. Gifts, personality types, attributes, strength. And with all that, limitations. Because there has to be room for somebody else. There has to be room for other people's gifts. Well, Liz Harris isn't there at Kids Club, and it's left to Julia and I. It's mayhem. It's a free-for-all. It's, oh, let the kids do that. And, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if it goes a bit over, does it? And, you know, we have a great time until she comes back. Okay. Okay. So your gifting leaves room for other people's gifting in the body of Christ. God wants us to live in unity and work together. And this is the big deal. And care for one another. We mustn't have this view. Of coming to church on a Sunday and thinking that is church, please get delivered from that. Come to church, get to be feeling comfortable, get to be comfortable with the service, get to be comfortable how it's it's done, but don't for goodness sake think that that is you belonging to church. You don't know what you're really like till you start to belong to one another. Because you're going to meet people that don't think the same. You're going to meet people that don't talk the same. You're going to meet people who have a different take on God, and it's still God. And this, 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 um, so I recommend you get involved. I recommend you serve, because all the gifts here are to invest in serving. They are all for me and you to serve the body of Christ. They are not for our own accolade or our own, uh, you know, ego. They're not to serve. They're not to do that. And, And it's so easy, and I speak from experience and experience of others, it's so easy to just be limited in your understanding of God. And you need to be exposed to the different people and different ways they do it. You need that. You can't stay in your small corner because the body of Christ is not just in Rawns, nor in Northampton, nor in Vineyard, nor in HTB, nor in Bethel. It's it's the whole body of Christ. It's in Israel. It's in Iraq. It's in Iran. It's with the refugees. It's with the Chinese. It's with the persecuted church. This is what we belong to. We belong to one body. And he makes a big deal of this. Don't think that belonging to church is belonging to C.V. Rons or C.V. Northampton. Belonging to church is something that God does incredibly by birthing you into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is the most precious thing. Why? Because the head is Lord Jesus Christ himself. And all that comes through to the body comes from Jesus Christ himself. And we have to learn one major thing that is evident in in Philippians 2. That our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who though he was equal to God, did not seek equality, but made himself nothing as a servant. We have to learn how to submit. And I don't just mean wives to husbands. That would be a lovely thing. That would be great. But husbands to wives. Because it's a submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And every time you hear somebody going on about somebody else in the church, that they don't like this or they don't like that, or they think they took their seat or they you know, didn't do this or they should have done that, they don't realize that actually they're destroying themselves. You know, we are so fragmented, and we don't understand that when we knock others, when we judge others, when we're unkind to others, we are doing that to ourselves. That is a pure form of self-harm. That is self-harm. Jesus says in his word, doesn't he? He said, don't keep on biting and devouring each other. Otherwise, you will be devoured. It is for our good, mental, physical, and everything, that we learn to submit one to another, that we don't start getting high-minded that we don't start thinking we're, we're it, that we are the, you know, this is just what the church needs me. i tell you what, this is not what the church needs, but by God's grace, he fitted me in, okay? So we have to, we, so we often, there's this disunity and harmony when Paul prays for unity of the body, that together with all the saints, it's a together with all the saints, it's not just your strength being added to rawns. It's your strength and your power that is God-given added to the body of Christ because the kingdom moving forward in rawns is just as important as a kingdom moving forward in Israel or the kingdom moving forward in Iran. That's how important it is. And I think it's so important to get a bigger picture of your life because it doesn't feel like that when you go to work. It doesn't feel like that when you go to college or school or the office. I know you don't get the feeling that you're part of the big picture, but you are, because God has placed those parts in the body of Christ just to function absolutely perfectly. Just like my kidneys don't have to talk to my liver, they just get on with it. And my liver gets on and doesn't have to talk to my spleen, because all the connecting tissues will make sure they all work together. It's the body of Christ that works together, knitting those parts together, making them work. So we don't want disunity and we don't want disharmony because there you will see rivalry and jealousy and a lack of submission. We don't have to be envious of anyone, anyone else's giftings or abilities, because we know God doesn't have favorites. Somebody very gifted doesn't mean it's a favorite. Aren't you glad Heidi Baker is out there rescuing orphan boys? Doesn't it melt your heart? Aren't you glad Aren't you glad there's somebody in Mozambique? Aren't you glad there's somebody in Iraq at St. George's in Baghdad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that somebody is reaching the poor and the refugees in Lesbos? Aren't you glad? Does that mean you've got to go? No. Do your bit here. You know, the Bible says, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Do it as as doing it unto the Lord. Do well. Wherever you are, do the best you can. And learn by being with others. Let others sharpen you like iron. And let others show you your pride. Because we all, we all suffer with pride. We all suffer. It's so insidious. It's so easy to judge, isn't it? We can judge just, just like that without even giving it a thought. We can do that. So we don't have to do that. Each of us needs to do and play our own part. Insecurity will breed jealousy. So let's give ourselves a check. Maybe there's someone we know that we struggle with, struggle to get on with in the family, at at work, at school, college. We've got to deal with it. We have to deal with it. Sometimes God will give you a memory and he's trying to show you something. I know oftentimes God speaks to me and I think, oh, you were trying to show me that. You were trying to show me that insecurity. You were trying to show me where that fear came from. And I just thought it was a memory that kept repeating itself. Get sensitive to the Holy Spirit by being vulnerable and um, repentant. Repentance is a lovely lifestyle. It's always ready to say, got that wrong. Sorry. It's all right. You don't have to become a worm to know that God's right. Of course God's right. He's God. He's God. So we need to, we need to deal with it. We need to deal with anybody that we're dishonoring and we need to get our hearts right. We taught the children that in Kids Club on Friday. We need God's power to get our hearts right, to stop us being arrogant. The Bible says we should also keep our eyes on Jesus so that we can do well. And we can do well. You know, the guys at the back do a fantastic job. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do a computer. But when we've done it and somebody says, you've done a great job, just take it. <laughs> Don't say, oh, no, it was the Lord. We know it was the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but just say, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Just give it back to God. Just say thank you. And that's it. That's lovely. Don't have to be puffed up. But you, you can be congratulated for something you do well. That's all right. And to try and work at your own humility is very self-absorbing. I must be ever so humble. I must be humble. Everybody's better than me. I must, I must be humble. I wasn't humble then. I must be humble next time. You can't do it. It's just self-absorbing. You can't, you can't make yourself humble. It's all in the love of God. It's all in the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it all work together. It's in him. Either I can become self-absorbed, navel-gazing, or I can think, oh, I wish I was like... You know, I wanted to be a Maria Woodworth Etta. I wanted to stand there with one arm raised, one arm behind my back, and everybody that came underneath my arm had a translation sort of experience. Well, I could imagine myself doing that. I could get the white blouse and the long black skirt, and I could just stand there. Well, nothing would happen. I'd just get cramp, wouldn't I? And somebody'd say, Sorry, we're closed now. Would you like to go? Like she had an anointing for that particular time in that particular time of history where she stood for days on end, all bodily functions ceasing, with one arm up, and everybody that passed underneath her got healed, got saved, got delivered. Mariah Woodworthetta, amazing woman. Oh, you love her. You love her. Lost six children. All went off to be with angels, she said had one daughter left, an amazing woman. What about Amy Simple McPherson? She, she rode in on a motorbike once, closed the doors and rode in my motorbike and says, you're all nicked. You're like, wouldn't you like to do that? Well, I can't drive a motorbike. <laughs> and Steve wouldn't let me come in here with a motorbike. Well, the caretaker wouldn't, actually. So we're scuppered. We've got to be who we are. And we've got to do the best we can. What, how? With the power. Paul says, I pray that he may strengthen you in your inner man. And I pray that he may, with all power, that you might know that together with all the saints, not a personal faith that is just for me, but a personal faith that works out for everybody else. It's not me in the sanctuary. It's me in my room coming out and changing. It's all nice to be in your private room with Jesus. Oh, there's no competition there, is there? Just step outside. Just step outside. That's a trying thing, isn't it? So we don't want to go into comparisons, into measuring ourselves against each other. It doesn't work, and no one is like you. Hallelujah. No one is like you. You can't be someone else because that slot is filled. Be happy with who you are and who has made you. So it's good to discover our gifting so that we can invest it in serving the church. This is a sobering thought, and it's two scriptures and um, that I've seen. So I, I don't. You don't have to go with me, but in the Last Supper in Luke, uh, in Luke twenty two, twenty four. Um, This is very interesting because it doesn't say it in John. Okay, I'll get there in a moment. So Luke 22, 24, it's the Last Supper. And this is what we read. We read read that they were sitting there. Uh, I'll go a bit before. It's the Last Supper. Uh, When the hour, verse 14, came, Jesus, let's really think about this now. This is the Lord's Last Supper. When they are came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God." After taking the cup he gave thanks and said take this and divide it among yourselves for I tell you I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my, body, in my blood which is poured out for you. That's what we cost. That's why we're here. I do find when people are argy and getting all in a twist about somebody's petty offence, we have taken our eyes on what it cost Jesus to even put us here in the first place. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. And the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be and who would do this. And this is what is not recorded in John, also a dispute. So he's telling them that he's going and that he's not going to be drinking it again until he's in heaven. And they can't hear him. Their hearts have not gone through the radical change that they need to by the Holy Spirit. And ours need a radical dealing of the Holy Spirit. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the king, kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. See? Gifting for serving. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Then, if you go to John 13, you will see what he does in response to that, argy bargy. And I want you to get this. If there's, you know, the two things are that we are dearly loved and we are incredibly different. We are loved by God. We've been given talents by God, all suited to our own ability. And we are to use them to serve. And we are to grow in knowing the love of God. Those are the two things that I want you to get today. But this is how Jesus sees those disciples who are arguing amongst themselves and how he sees us in church when we're so fragmented and all over the place. So 13.3, the evening meal was about to be served was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, this is it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. This is what a slave would do and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then he's, you know, Peter resists and he says in verse 8, he says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Listen, unless the Lord Jesus Christ washes each one of us, we have no part in this church business. We are not here because the music's great. We're not here, certainly, because the teaching is not great. But we are here because we have been chosen, designed, and placed into the body of Christ for one another and for us, for our growth, for we cannot grow on our own. We have to grow in the context of together with all the saints. You know, Paul says somewhere else, the whole world belongs to you. Do you know what happens when you're stingy and selfish and jealous and mean? The whole world does not belong to you, it just revolves around you. But when you are fixed on Jesus and the church is big... And this is wonderful the way Vineyard have come alongside us and envisioned us and stretched us out. It's wonderful. It's just a pure answer to prayer and it's just perfect timing. But it's all God's timing. It's all God's power. We're all God's people. We are all equally loved. We all have different gifts. Come on, folks. Use what he's given you. Because when the master returns, he's going to look For a return on his investment. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it with you, that we we together, the church is not like the world around us. It's countercultural. We are equal because God has made each one of us. But we have to understand how he sees creation. A baby born in the slums of India is as valuable as a head of state, the best surgeon, the best scientist, let the best scientist be the best scientist. But let the best engineer be the best engineer. So, And to look down, listen to this, this is a final bit, and to look down, and that's why it says that anyone who lusts in his heart has committed adultery. And anyone who's angry with his brother has committed murder because your heart is the wellspring of your life. Baby born in the slums of India is as valuable as anybody else. And to look down on anyone... Children, the poor, the Bible has a lot to say about the poor, those with severe disabilities, is to despise God. It is to despise God. If you hate me, you're out of sorts. If you're critical of me, you're probably critical of yourself. If you can't love me, you probably can't love yourself. If you can't submit to me, and I can't submit to you, you probably haven't submitted to Christ It's a big deal. And the Bible has a lot to say about the poor, children, widows and orphans, doesn't he? Belonging to Jesus, who would say, as we have treated the least of his brethren, so we have treated him. So to conclude, there's room for everyone. All of us equally loved. All of us distinctly different. Each given different gifts for the common good. Not individualistic, but one in Christ, able to invest our lives into his kingdom. Amen. Let's close with prayer, shall we? Because this is joyful. It's joyful. Hallelujah. I'm chosen by God. Oh, I do about you, but I'm chosen of God. Amen.